you have a Bible nearby, let's go together to Leviticus chapter 19. I believe that God has some, uh, some cool things for us tonight. Uh, last week, or really two weeks ago, we kind of began something that will, in some way, it won't really end tonight, but it'll bring some closure to it tonight. Uh, and so I uh, sent you to Leviticus 19, and you just kind of stay there. I'll show you a few things before that, because I believe that God is going to continue to speak to us through uh, Psalm 68. Let me just read, read the verses that we looked at last week, and you'll see it on the screen. It says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in His holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Um, so, uh, a few weeks ago, we had uh, Karis and Adam shared a little bit about their time in India. And then uh, I shared last week about mine and some things that I believe God kind of brought back to our congregation here. Um, and so the general sense that, uh, or the general idea from last week was really, um, when we look at God and you look at those verses as Him being uh, a rescuer of widows and orphans, those who don't have a covering, of of those who are in, imprisoned, those who are uh, solitary, those they're alone. Um, that that He His desire is to reach into their lives and. Uh, and change those conditions to give a covering, to give them community, to give them uh, liberty from whatever is holding them captive. And, uh, and so he calls his church to join him in going to, uh, in those efforts to bring them out of those conditions and into uh, abundant life. And so that was kind of the, the challenge point for us last week was um, just to resist the urge to to exalt what he's doing in other countries and other places as being greater than what he's doing here. And, uh, and, and to resist our natural tendency to exalt missionaries and some of those people who, are, who we see as being on the front lines, um, to exalt them as, as though he's not given us the same exact opportunities. Uh, they, they appear to be different, and certainly some of the details are different and that, that kind of stuff, but, but at the end of the day, um, he is... Uh, a father to the fatherless globally. That's just as much here in Baton Rouge as it is in Calcutta. Um, he's a protector of widows globally uh, and not just other places. That there are those imprisoned and those who are solitary and those who are rebellious and those who, are, who need a covering right here that he's laid in front of us. And so some of the examples with kind of within all that stuff, we uh, just kind of talked about uh, serving at the levee and being a driver on Sunday afternoons and, and those, some of those kind of opportunities that, are, that he's placed in front of us as a church, um, the, uh, the fact that we have a foster care system and adoption networks all around us all the time, uh, that there are, are literally orphans all over the place, that there are literally widows all over the place. And in some very specific ways, he's called us as, as a church, kind of plot these opportunities in front of us. But then individually, as we go about our days, we have the same, same kind of, of opportunities uh, for those who don't have a covering. Um, in some cases, it's the solitary, it's the lonely. And so we have, 
this Sunday gathering. We have community groups. We have just places to, to invite folks in and, and, and that hospitality that's there that we, we treat strangers like they're family. And you get those people who are lonely and you get them in living in community um, that you have those same opportunities as well with people you live with and work with and, and are friends with and family members and that kind of stuff who, who are living an isolated life. Um, whether that's like literally just like physically or maybe sometimes it's, it's emotional isolation or spiritual isolation. We're there to draw them out of that. Um, that we have people who are imprisoned, whether it's imprisonment to sin or imprisonment to sins, uh, addictions and those kinds of things that, that Jesus invites out of and, them out of and he sends us in to do the same thing. And so here we are. We have, uh, there's just opportunity after opportunity after opportunity that he has put right in front of us both corporately as a church and individually as the people that make up this church. Um, and, and so I think last week it was kind of, the, kind of just a push to be like, look, don't act like he's not doing this right in front of your face. Um, and that really, I mean, that certainly to me as much as anybody else, uh, don't look at India and admire that so much as, as if the same things aren't going on right here in our context and so I think he was kind of pushing us forward. And so I came away from, from last week, you know, like feeling, uh, I mean, anybody that's ever done anything, like any sort of teaching or uh, anything like that, like I felt probably as good as you can feel. Like you always walk away being like, why did I say that? And why I forgot about this point and can't believe I tried to make that joke and, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, see, like that one. And, uh, and so you always kind of walk away, you second guess stuff and all that. And at the end of the, you know, the, the drive away from anything like that, uh, is always like kind of weird because your mind's kind of going crazy. And eventually you're just like, you can't unring that bell. It's done. And it's the Lord that makes it all settle in good places anyway. So just let him do his thing. And so, so I came away from last week just feeling like, like no, I, I think, I think some, some things connected well, you know. And, and kind of came away from that. And, you know, Monday and Tuesday and then Wednesday we had an elder meeting. And, and so we kind of were just talking about why it seems like uh, maybe a lot of us struggle so much for for that stirring in us to really like land in like for real like action, you know? Because I don't think anybody walks away from something from a like we should be caring for widows and orphans. Nobody's after being like, no, dude, absolutely not. You know, swing and a miss. You you got that one completely wrong. Like everybody's on board with orphan care, right? With widows, with people who are living in isolation coming into community, with people who are in bondage being free from that. For the, for even, and even going into those who are rebellious and saying, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, but we still go to him. Everybody's on board with that uh, until like, it comes to like, really putting some of those things into action. I, I think there's, like a, there's, there's just something that's keeping it from being as, as, like, just a steady rhythm of life like we want it to be. And, and so I just, can't just started to ask the Lord, like, what is it? You know, what's, what's, what's my holdup? What's... What's, are there some general kind of stronghold type things that exist within our community that we need to begin to just call them out and pray them away and crush them and get to the root of that stuff and just deal with it? Um, and it's not like uh, he didn't give me like a big massive revelation of anything new. It's really same kind of stuff. Uh, at our meeting on Wednesday, we kind of, the elders, we kind of talked about some more, some more things and um, we had to, and we had to do an elder-led prayer time at 4.30 on Sundays. Everybody's invited to. And, and today that, that was kind of consistent with things. And, and so I feel, like, I feel like God maybe gave me some insight as to maybe something that could be helpful for us. So this is kind of the, 
the third installment of this Psalm 68, 5 and 6 deal. But this is a little more on the practical side, but all practical stuff has deep roots as well. So um, I want to read you something from Deuteronomy 24. So you don't have to turn to it because I want you to stay in Leviticus. Because uh, I, I want you to see wh- where this passage connects. Um, Deuteronomy 24, verse 19, says this. It says, When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Um, when you beat your olive trees, okay, that's how you get the olives out, uh, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward, meaning just you get everything and you go back and get all the leftover things that you dropped. I guess those things would be grapes. Uh, um, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Okay? Now, maybe not an obvious connection uh, at first. But I believe that the opportunities that he's put in front of us, uh, ultimately, like, it's really like it's a, it's a stewardship issue for us. Like, are you going to be a good steward of what he has entrusted? All right? So, when you think stewardship, you, we need to... Th- Kind of, kind of jump back um, into. It's a very common thing in 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 the Bible for them to talk about um, being a steward and all that kind of stuff. For us, maybe think like if um, if you house sit for someone, you're basically you're being a steward of their house while they are on vacation. Okay, so you have been entrusted with something that belongs to somebody else, and you are to ultimately be you're ultimately responsible for what that is. You know, um, if you are if you are working finance and you are uh, investing money for people, you're being a steward of their money, uh, that kind of thing. So I think it's a stewardship issue because here are these opportunities that he has entrusted uh, to us, and so now it's really a matter of, of are we going to be good stewards or are we going to be bad stewards? You know, and so because it's a stewardship issue, you look at this passage. And he's telling them, whenever, whenever you go and, and like the fields are ripe or the olive trees are ready or the vineyard is ready and you, and you send your workers through, um, he's saying don't, uh, don't like work overtime to get every little grape that you drop and every single olive off the tree and every piece of wheat that's there. Uh, the stuff that falls, you just let it fall. And he says it in all three examples. Let it be for the sojourner, the widow, uh, and the fatherless. Um, so the sojourner, that's the, a person who's on a journey, who's just like passing through. Um, these are people who were, they were 100% dependent on hospitality. So you could travel through in the, in the ancient Near East, and on a journey you could stop at somebody's house. You just like knock on their door or whatever, and uh, say like, hey, I'm, I'm passing through. And they would open up their home to you, and you could stay there for three days at their house. Just kind of, it's just kind of how it worked, and you would feed them, and you would just take care of them and stuff, and let them rest, and then send them on their way. And so, sojourners were were treated like they were family. That's where hospitality is rooted for us. Uh, you take people that you don't know; they're complete strangers, but you treat them like family. 
And New Testament hospitality doesn't have a three-day, like, you know, expiration date. So, um, so he's saying, like, no, the stuff that, that, that's left in the field after your workers go through, that's going to be for those who are passing through. That's going to be for those who are, who are fatherless, okay? It's those, um, those kids who don't have a covering, and they're out, like, gathering food for their families uh, because they don't have a dad to do that. Um, and, and it's for the, for the widows, you know, same, same kind of deal. It's, it's for the poor. It's for those who, who don't, who, they don't have their own fields. That's for them. You leave that for them. That's what he's telling them in Deuteronomy 24. It's, it's a stewardship issue, okay? So you have to think like, like, the, like the owner of, of an olive, uh, a grove of olive trees, or like an owner of a vineyard, or an owner of a field uh, full of wheat, that, that that's what you are to be a steward of, is what is, what is yours. Um, are you going to be uh, the kind of landowner who wants every single grape in his baskets, in his wine presses, so he can make money, so he can whatever? Are you going to be the kind of landowner that is cool with some of it laying all out there, so that at the end of the day... Um, the, the widows and the orphans and the sojourners and those without a covering can come out into the field and they can, can gather what is left over so that they can eat. And that's literally what would happen. Um, in, the, in, the, uh, in, the, uh, sorry. in the Old Testament, like the, you'd have the, the, these fields and all these workers are out there and, and standing on the edges of the fields and in the corners were widows and orphans and sojourners and, and all that. And that's they knew, like, that's like how the culture worked. And so they would stand on the side, and they would watch, and they would wait, and they would see what was left, and they would see the generosity of the owner or the stinginess of the owner. And then when the time was right, they could come out, and they could gather, and they could eat, and they could be cared for that way. So it's a stewardship issue, same thing. Um, But in Leviticus 19, it kind of... There's some different imagery. It's the same exact concept. Um, but this is the one I kind of want to go with for the next few minutes. Um, Leviticus 19, verse 9. It says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. That thing in verse 9 about reaping your field right up to the edge, okay? that's, that's the imagery I want us to go with tonight. To, to think of, um, of our lives and, and some of the things he's laid in, in front of us as, from a stewardship standpoint. And, and to think in terms of, of are we going to reap all the way up to the edges and into the corners of what he has laid in front of our lives, or are we going to leave some room? I think that's the, I think that's the issue. I think that's the stronghold that keeps a lot of us from, from acting on some of the opportunities that he's given us, whether it's corporate, some of the corporate opportunities or some of the individual opportunities. I think, I think we're not being good stewards all the time of what he has put in front of us. I think we're like landowners who are reaping all the way to the edges and the, and the corners of our fields instead of, instead of leaving some margin and some room and, and for considering uh, others in this. I think that there are, are those literally standing on the sides waiting and watching to see what we're going to do. Now, this probably is still not connecting very well. Uh, so let me, let me try to let me, let me 
try to explain, I think, what, what God is, is saying with, with all that stuff in mind. Um, there, are, uh, there are some things that he has entrusted to us that we, um, we have to make some decisions about. Okay? So let's take, let's take money. Let's say that money, money is, is our field, all right, to go, to go with that like, metaphor kind of deal. Uh, let's say that, that however much money you make, whether it's a lot or a little bit, it doesn't really matter. Um, money is entrusted to us by God. We are stewards of his money. So he's entrusted money to us in order to, to accomplish really two, two things. Uh, one, it's, it's to meet our needs. All right? So he's entrusted money so that you can eat, so you can have something to wear, so you can have somewhere to stay, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then he's entrusted it to us in order to meet the needs of other people. And sometimes, sometimes that is uh, in a direct sense, like it's literally you loaning people money, or better yet, you just giving people money, since it's not your money in, in the first place. Uh, it's you being obedient with that kind of direct individual giving. Um, it's, uh, it's about meeting the needs of others. Sometimes it's through the offering that we collect up here that is, like, is spread out uh, literally all over the world, but it goes to meet needs locally and globally. Um, uh, it's meeting needs in just all, all different kinds of ways, but that's why he's entrusted. So, so you're you're a steward, okay? You're 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 a, uh, you're house sitting, all right? You're a, a financial manager or whatever, however you want to think of it, um, for money that God has entrusted to you to meet your needs and then to meet the needs of other people. Uh, so, when it comes to being a steward of however much money you have, uh, you are now. Uh, you're now there able to make the choice of am I going to am I going to be a steward who um, who reaps all the way to the edges and the corners or am I going to am I going to uh, cut my corners wide as I once heard it said am I going to leave some room on the sides of, of the field on purpose you know Am I going to tell my workers, like, you start on that outside property line and you go all the way to that corner and there better be nothing left on the ground when you're done? Or are you saying, once you come in, come in about 10, 15 feet, and when you get down that corner, go ahead and make the turn kind of early. You know, just make that, just, yeah, just kind of leave a big, just leave some space around the outside. Because that's for, that's for the sojourner. That's for the fatherless. That's for the widow. That's for the poor. That's for, that's for other people. Um, here's, and here's how that fleshes out. Okay, let's say I get up and I say, um, "Hope of Life has a budget shortfall, and we just we really need some people who can who can commit to just giving some monthly, just steady, steady giving." All right. Some of you are brokenhearted because because you're living all the way to the edges and all the way in the corners financially. You you can't you just could, you can't do it. You literally literally cannot do it. Because there's no margin, there's, your, your corners are not wide. You haven't budgeted and planned your, your giving out. You haven't left room for the fatherless financially. Um, and so, so you're sitting there frustrated. Uh, frustrated at me probably for even making that announcement, you know. But you're irritated because you're like, I want to give that. That's what my heartbeat is, but I just can't. And I, th- I, think that's, I think that's the tension point, you know. It's not that your desire isn't there. It's not that you hate orphans. It's that, it's that as a steward of finances, 
You're just you're living you're living all the way to the edges. Um, that's just an example. There's all kinds of things. There are probably those of you who are not in, who are who are very involved in our church that that never give to what what is going on because of that. There's some of you that are like like financial debt. Just it has you just living in misery. Be you know because of that. Um, there are, are people that you know that you would love to be able to help out. There are, are people you'd love to be able to buy birthday presents for and w- wedding gifts. and all. There's just so much that you would like to be able to do to be able to bless people and care for people. You'd love to have people into your home and cook for them, but you just you don't have anything to spare. Okay? Now, I understand. All right? Don't, don't get mad at me. You know, I understand. Worst economic crisis since whatever. I, get, I understand that. I really do. Um, and that's just not designed to beat people up about the fact that sometimes like, finances are just hard. Sometimes life, it just, it's just tough to deal with. And there are some of you who, like, it, you're doing the best you can. What I think God is speaking to tonight is really, it's not really the, uh, the logistical, like, does this describe your life or not? It's really more, does this describe your heart or not? Um, and so if, if finance is one of those things that just makes you sweat a little bit, and you want me to move on to another topic, okay, just, just hang on with me for a little while. I think you'll feel better as we kind of go. But that's what, I'm, that's, that's what I, I'm using as some, one of my examples, is the fact that we've been entrusted with money to be able to do certain things, and, and if we're living all the way to the edges and all the way to the corners, we, just, we literally can't do that. Okay? Um, another example would, would be time. This is probably the one, the one that I hear the most. I, I certainly know that there are folks who are like, I just can't contribute financially and because of this and this and this. And some of those th- things are awesome, you know, like totally legitimate, and some of them are just not, you know. That's, that's another issue. Uh, but time is really kind of a bigger one, you know. When we say, hey, we really need some people to do this. If, if, I, if I make an announcement that says, uh, this is a need, and this is when it is, this we need some folks to help out with this, uh, I can tell you the first six people who are going to sign up easily. Um, and those are people who, when it comes to time, are, they are not living time all the way at the edges and all the way into the corners. You know? They've gotten good at managing things and not overcommitting and all that kind of stuff. And so there's enough freedom and flexibility there where they could say, no, I, you know, I can do that. And there's some people who say, I would love to be able to help, but honestly, you know, like I have like, kids and a family and all this kind of stuff, and things are kind of crazy and it's just it's a rough time right now, and I really need to be there with them. I think that's totally fine. But then there are people who have just not been good stewards of their time. And they say, well, somebody will do it, right? Somebody will show up early to do that. Somebody will stay late to do that. Somebody will volunteer to do that. Somebody else will do it, I'm sure. Because God has entrusted them with time, and they're managing that time all the way to the edges and all the way into the corners and there are no margins for service. There are no margins for, uh, uh, for having people over. No margins for getting coffee with somebody who shared something in community group that you just know they just need somebody to talk to. No margins for helping people move. There's no margins for that kind of stuff because you're just wall-to-wall, um, like wall-to-wall bad stewardship of time. Um, and so there's a choice in there somewhere. Am I going to steward all the way to the edges and the corners, or am I going to leave room for those around who need something? Um, 
I think you could put you could put spiritual gifts in here as well that God has entrusted to us, like very very tangible ways that He manifests His presence within all of us. And then here come these opportunities to put those gifts in action. And sometimes, like we just we just we're just bad stewards of it. It's not even a to the edges, or it's not even that kind of issue. It's just being like, well, I know He's gifted me this way, but He's probably gifted somebody else that way too. I think all this really comes down to the stewardship of, uh, of our will, you know, of the freedom to choose how we are going, like how far to the edge are we going to uh, instruct our workers, so to speak, to deal with stuff. That we, you have a choice to make, you know, as a steward. Like if you're house sitting for somebody, you have, you have choices to make. I remember when I was in college, I, I would, uh, there was a professor that I would house sit for, and uh, within my college, like, everybody knew that I was house-sitting for this guy. And, if, and so as soon as he would leave town, all, everybody else in my major was like, when's, when's the party? You know? And I was like 19, you know, I'm watching over this nice house. And uh, he had like a Rolls Royce. And uh, I, I had to start it every day. But I couldn't drive it, but I had to start it. You know, and I felt like Cameron and Ferris Bueller, you know, like I was like... <laughs> Bad, bad times, and uh, he drove this, like, super, super nice, like, another nice car, and he had, a, like, a faculty ID, so I got to drive to school, drive his car to school and park in the faculty lot, and it's like all this, it was really weird, um, but they would, like, so, but they would always be like, like, when, like, when's the party? It's gonna be, like, Thursday night or Friday night or Saturday, I just need to know how to plan, you know, and I'm like, there's no party, there, that one, that's not gonna happen, we're not having a party at this professor's house while he's out of town, because, because I'm responsible. So if he comes back and all his Civil War era whatever is falling off the walls because of y'all, then I'm the one, like, I'm responsible for that. You know? It's, it's me. Like, I'm, I'm the one. So I had a choice to make. I could let everybody come over and mess up the house and hope nothing happened. Or I could be a good steward of somebody else's possessions and just tell them no. Like, that's... So, but it was, but it came down to my choice, you know. We have a choice when it comes to like managing our finances. We have a choice when it comes to managing our time. We have a choice with a, with using our spiritual gifts or, or keeping them, you know, contained to ourselves. We have we have all these choices, and so I think it really really comes down to being a, a, a good manager of our freedom to choose. Uh, are we going to are we going to choose to value what God values, or are we going to choose to value what we value? Because really, that's what stewardship comes down to. When I was house-sitting, it really had nothing to do with the house. It had everything to do was with what was valuable to my professor. I didn't care what was in his house. It was his, it was his you know. But what I cared about was him. And so, that's what's important, you know. If you were managing somebody's money, it's not the money itself that's so valuable, right? It's, it's what do you think of the person who's doing it? If you don't care about the person that you're managing their money, if you don't care about them at all, then you, just, you do whatever you want with the money because you don't really care about them. If I didn't care about that professor when I was house-sitting, then I would do whatever I want with his house because I don't really care about the house. I don't really care about him. So the greater you value the one who is entrusting you with something, the better job you'll do of taking care of what it is. And so he's put these opportunities in front of us. 
And he's given us the time to care for the widows and the orphans and the lonely and those in prison and the rebellious, the, the hurting. I mean, he's given us the time. He's given us the money. He's given us the gifts. He's put us in a community where we can like, not be doing this by ourselves. He's empowered us with his spirit. He's given us all these things. I think it really comes down to, are we going gonna to value what he values because we value him? Or are we going to value what we value? And so we have that, that kind of choice to make. Now, if, if you're frustrated with me, um, I want you to know something. Uh, this is not like at all meant to be a guilt trip. Like if I described you a second ago, like financially, uh, I don't think that the way to respond to that is to get frustrated um, and talk bad about me later and blog about it and tweet about it and whatever. I, but I don't. Th- I don't think that. I don't mean this to be frustrating, because I'm. I'm. I'm there too. You know. I'm not saying like I'm this great steward of my money. You know. And you can be like me. That's not. That's not what's going on. Um, I think what God wants us to do is to is to do some assessment of our lives, and if if you're sitting there and you're like, okay, financially, like I'm I'm living all the way to the edges and all the way into the corners right now because of debt or because of just self-centered spending or because of these you know stuff I don't need and all this kind of stuff, whatever. But if you're if you're there to that point where there's no money left over when needs pop up for you to be able to meet them. Um, I think you can go one of two ways. I think you can get frustrated and say, well, whatever. Just, you, can write, you can write it off. Or you can say, okay, um, I, I really want, I want to pull in from the edges. I want to figure out how to, how to climb out of debt, how to redo my budget, how to get to where whenever needs pop up, I'm, I'm able to, like, to, to meet those. I want to really like, fit into that understanding that money is entrusted to me to meet my needs and the needs of others not just to meet my needs and wants. Um, well, if that's the case, then I, I think this is really just a push for us to organize our lives around what we say is important and what we really believe is important. Just organize your life. And look, if, you, if, it, if it takes you sitting down with someone who understands money and understands debt and all that kind of stuff, and, you, and you're able to say, okay, I think in, in four years, I think within four years, I can slowly start to pull, pull away from the edges. And so it may not happen in a week. It may not happen in a year. But I, eventually, I, I think I, we can pull some things out. It's, it's just, it's just going to take, take some commitment to that vision of saying, like, this is what I want my stewardship of my money to look like. I don't want it to look like it's been looking. This is, how, this is what I want it to look like. So I don't think it's, it's supposed to be a guilt trip or a hammer drop on us to, for us to feel bad about how we like, spend our money. I think God's really pushing and say, look, you can, you can organize your life in such a way to where what's actually happening with your finances and your stewardship is consistent with, with your heart. Because your heart and my heart are going to line up. And so maybe this can be like the beginning of like a turning point for you where you can say, all right, I'm just going to stop being self-centered with my money. I'm going to stop living all the way to the edges financially. I'm going to start to pull those margins away no matter how long it takes. Because that's what, that's what living in the kingdom looks like. Wide margins. 
wide corners. We leave the grapes in the field. We leave the, we leave the olives on the trees. Because there are people who are literally standing there waiting. They're just waiting. And the same thing with our time. If you're maxed out on time, like if you're just stressed out all, just all the time, all that kind of stuff, then, then I, it's, again, it's not meant to be a guilt trip or a hammer drop. I think God is really just saying, look, once, let's, once you start praying about how to organize your life a little better, there's just no way, there's just no way that, that we should be so maxed out on time that we don't have time for the people that God's like allowing us to cross paths with. Right? It doesn't make sense. And the and the like it's a complete, complete farce, okay? That that idea that like, well, somebody'll do it, you know. They just made an announcement to 150 people. Surely somebody'll do it. I just don't have time to fool with it. Well, may, maybe you really don't have time to fool with it because of legitimate things, all right? Maybe you're not supposed to be the one to fool with it. Maybe God has something else. But if that's a, like a self-centered deal because you're just that unorganized and you're that much of a people pleaser and you're that just unwilling to say no to stuff and you're, just, you're that like just out of control with time, that you're that much to the edges, then you've you got to deal with it. You've got to deal with it. Whether it's our giftings or uh, time management or money or just the fact that like when it comes down to it in our, in our free will, like our ability to choose him or choose ourselves, you just consistently choose yourself. You know what the best news out of all this is? Not a one of us is alone in having time to figure out how do I pull back from the edges. He's put us in community together to help figure that out. All right? That does not mean that uh, Adam Iglesias should have a 50-person line tonight just because like, he understands finances. Okay? Please don't do that to him. All right? Let me go first. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, as an example, uh, like, God has not just Adam, but there's all kind of people all throughout our community who they just they understand budgeting. They understand finances. They understand debt. They understand things. There's just a lot of wisdom that exists here. Um, start to pray about who to talk to if that's what it is. There are people in this, in this church that are outstanding at managing their time. That they, they just always have time for people, and, and, and they don't compromise their families, they don't compromise their marriages. They're just perfectly secure in just like saying no to some things, and really being discerning about what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do. So have coffee with them, have dinner with them. Say, how, how are you so good at time management, and I'm so terrible at it? You know? That's, we need to figure all this stuff out. Because honestly, I don't, I don't want to... Uh, I don't want the, that small hand few, handful of people who are very faithful at Breakfast on the Levee, I don't want them to burn out because we're unwilling to talk about some of this stuff from tonight. You know? I don't want them to, to burn out. I don't want the, the ministry at the levee to suffer because we're, just, we're, because we're unwilling to pull back from the edges. You know? I don't want those, those drivers on Sunday afternoon, I don't want that to happen. Like we should have, we should have tons of people saying, "I can, I can show up a little early on a Sunday and drive. That's no big deal." If you don't know what I'm talking about, just ask me afterwards. That should be, that should be easy, you know. Then you get, in, then you get into some other things. You get into like adoption and foster care. Like that's a, that's another like another whole. That's just a, that's big. That's big. You start to get into some of these other things. Well, what if, what if our congregation 
just started moving in that direction. Like corporately, we just started just pulling back from the edges to where there was so much margin that next thing you know, we're like, okay, we gotta we gotta figure out what to do because we have so many uh, we have so many. Uh, I can't even come up with an example, honestly. We're like, what if we just pulled in so much that our elder meetings were like, what are we gonna do? We have whatever. We have all these like uh, adoptions going on, like, and that's really that's like a really great thing. How do we support them? Every, everybody in our church is adopting, so now there's no, there's no support network because everybody's in the same boat. You know, what are we going to do? And we call Rick Warren and get him over here because he apparently knows exactly what to do. But, uh, like what, but just what, what if we just began, like, or really just continued down that journey of just pulling back to where it's not a, it's not a money issue and it's not a time issue, you know? It's not a, it's not a spiritual giftings issue. There's just no issues. Because what's beautiful about the way this worked out in the Old Testament is like it was just kind of a way of uh, it kind of got to be a way of life, and and if you um, we're not going to turn to it, but uh, you know the story. Uh, well, there's there's a, in the book of Ruth, um, the entire book of Ruth and the whole story of Ruth and Boaz um, comes from this same principle that Boaz uh, was a landowner. And he took Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 24, he took that seriously. And so he was the kind of landowner that didn't go all the way to the edges. And he had his workers leave stuff in the field. And he was a good steward of what God had entrusted to him. And so the sojourners and the widows and uh, the fatherless and the poor would come out into his fields and they would pick up what was left. And he thought that was awesome. And... Um, if you read the, read the way it plays out, it's pretty awesome because Ruth was one of those people waiting on the side, right? She's standing there. She's waiting on the side. Uh, she comes out, starts to gather. Uh, spoiler alert, they get married, okay? They get married, uh, have some kids, kids, and Ruth becomes David's great-grandmother, and David, through the lineage, leads to Jesus, right? So because Boaz took seriously the call to not go all the way to the edges and to live that kind of generous life with what he'd been entrusted with, um, we have the Bible unfold just as it was supposed to. So as cheesy as this sounds, like you, you don't know who's standing on the edges, of the field, you know, we have no idea as a church what kind of like world changers are waiting to be brought out of isolation, to be brought out of imprisonment, to be brought out of a lack of covering, to be brought into community, into healing, into abundance, into the real life. You have we have no idea who those people are. Boaz didn't know, and through his obedience. We got Jesus. And so through our obedience collectively, if we just don't, just re- don't push back and resist what God's like pushing us to do, just say, like, yeah, let, let me, let's organize our lives around what we know, that we know and value to be important. And let's stay on his page and let's, let's seek his wisdom on how to pull back from the corners and pull back from the edges. And let's just keep going. Because the more margin that's there, the more that's left on the ground, 
the more the sojourners and the widows and the orphans and the prisoners and those in isolation, they're going to start to come out from the edges and they're going to be living in our fields, right? They're going to be living among us. And we'll watch them heal them and free them and grow them. And then they get to be stewards and we're all stewards together. And uh, this, could be, this could be big. Um, and I think it is big in ways we aren't really sure of. So I don't know where I don't know where it meets you tonight. I never I never do. I say that every time. I think, uh, but that's that's up to you. That's up to me. Um, so let me pray for us. We're gonna sing a little bit. Let's just respond a little bit to what he might be stirring in us. Um, let's pray, Lord. I really just I don't know. Um, I don't really know where where you're taking us. I I believe. Collectively, that you're, that you are calling us to really, uh, just to prayerfully seek your face, and to seek your will for our lives in in very specific ways, and and to see how how can we, how can we live in such a way that we're, we really are good stewards of of all the resources you've entrusted to us, and how those resources they really do go to meet people's needs. Um, and so, God, I would ask that you would encourage those, those who are doing a good job of this, you know, um, to encourage those who have taken steps and are, are really just followed you in this. And um, on the other end of the extreme, God, I, I ask that you just convict where there needs to be conviction. I pray that guilt would not be the, the fleshly response to that conviction. But the real conviction leads to repentance and change and life. And so, God, um, just I pray this on behalf of the congregation. But we we welcome your encouragement and we welcome your conviction, because this stuff is it's too important for us to just live in this little bubble and just convince ourselves that everything's okay. Especially if there are are those who are literally standing on the edges and we have nothing left to offer them because we've taken it all for ourselves. I pray that that would not be the case and that you would not, um, you just wouldn't leave us alone about it. I pray, Father, that you would, um, that you would just help us to really just to keep um, to keep the sails hoisted really high so that wherever wherever the wind takes us, wherever your spirit pushes us, that we're, we're ready and um, we're sensitive to that. And just as a church, that we'll just keep, keep living that way. Um, I pray that you'd help us to, to see some of those who are standing on the sides and the ones that you're going to bring into our fields and into our, into our midst, literally. I pray you help us to have the heart for them that you do. You keep shaping us and really just maturing us and growing us to the point where we understand stewardship. We understand it's not our money, it's not our time, they're not our, our gifts, they're not our resources, they're not our houses, not our cars, um, not our... 
uh, our planners, they're just not our, it's just not ours, none of it. And pray that that would lead to, um, to us being good stewards of those things because we love the one they belong to.